Yeah, welcome back to the Nigerian Filmmaker, a podcast for us to talk about Nigerian filmmakers, their films, and how we can build a diverse and functional industry. I'm your host, Sander Gott. On this episode, my guest is Bobola Oniura. He's a DaVinci Resolve certified trainer, a colorist, and editor. He has worked on Sugar Rush and Merriman too. We talk about the art and science of color grading, the CSI, and recommended post-production pipelines. If you're a new listener, you're welcome and I hope you enjoy. Hi, Bobola. You're welcome to the Niger Filmmaker. Hi, Sally. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing Thanks good. Thanks for having me and inviting me. Yeah, pleased to have you. All right, can you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Bobola, Bobola Onura. Uh, I am a film colorist. Uh, I also edit. Um, I've been a colorist for close to six years. Um, if I will borrow the words of Rufai, I am an accidental colorist um, because okay. I was working as a creative director before I doubled into color grading and all that. Yeah. Due to the fact that there were there was a need for it uh-huh. in the company I was and in 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 the industry and and the company in the console invested in tutorials and we had our editor sit on it for a year and they weren't doing anything fantastic with it so i decided that okay there's nothing difficult about learning the software yeah so i picked up the tutorials and i started learning them and that was how i doubled into it and and because i have architecture as background yeah um <clears throat> I do graphics and things with color. Uh, so it wasn't too difficult for me to be able to switch to, to color grading and then analyzing pictures, analyzing frames, and color grading them, uh, bringing out the important colors, using it to tell a story. Yeah. So that, that was how it all started. Okay. I can see from your filmography, you've worked on films like Sugar Rush, Merriman 2, and Pursuit, the short film. Is there anyone I'm yes. missing? There are a couple of other ones, but they're not yet out. Um, there is... Um, Deafi is out. I, I worked on Deafi. I worked on... There are some that are not out, yeah. like um, Scarlet is not out. Bad Comment is not out. Um, the pandemic just slowed down so many producers from releasing the films they've worked on. Yeah. A couple of other ones that are not out yet also. Okay. All right, so like, um, how did you get started in filmmaking? Um, like I said, accidentally, because I was creative director in Africa. Um, yeah. And as creative director, I supervise everything that has to do with creatives, from content to graphics to to what we do for clients in terms of creating concepts and shooting stuff. Yeah. So I supervise all that. So I, I, I have a team of people who work with me. And like I said, we have editors 
we have VFX guys, we have animators in in, in then and because we deal with the industry, we were able to discover that there was a need, there was a um, industry meetup uh, workshop that we did in 2013, and most of the directors and producers were complaining that color grading was one of the biggest challenges in the industry then huh. and we were like what's so what's so what's the big deal about it is it not a software is it not a skill and we we're like it was expensive because the notion was that for you to color grade you must have the uh, davinci resolve console which was and is still thirty thousand dollars yeah. Then there were only there was only one console, the main advanced console. Uh. So, so when they said it was expensive, and we looked it up, and we saw the thirty thousand dollars, we now concluded that maybe that was why they said it was expensive. Um, the company then invested in 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 buying the console, but we now realized that the console comes with a software that you can actually use with your mouse. Yeah. So, if we had known, we wouldn't have bought the console anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah, in retro, in retrospect. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so that was how it all started. That was how our editors got tutorials. We got tutorials for them, and and they would learn it over time. But uh, I don't know why it was they were not picking it up uh, quickly enough. So I just decided, let me go learn this thing myself sat on the console and started learning yeah. and now that i moved as part of my job as creative director i became a colorist also yeah okay so like um from that 2013 till now how how have you seen the progress that's been made with you know um having more colorists in nigeria and people just understanding you know how to get their footage ready for the color color process yeah, it's 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 been a lot of um, there has been a lot of improvement over the years. There have been quite a lot of improvements. There are several colorists now. There are more editors becoming colorists. There are more editors learning to be colorists now. Yeah. Uh, color grading has become part of the workflow that producers are aware of now. Mm. Once upon a time. The editor just does everything, does the sound, does the edits, does the color. If you ask them color grading, they'll be like, what, what is that? My editor is going to do everything. So, yeah. but now they, they have come to realize it's a standalone part of the workflow. And even people are beginning to be conscious about the way and how they should shoot to get the best out of uh, the footages in, in during uh, color correction and color grading. Yeah. So, so, so between then and now, there have been a lot of improvements in terms of awareness, in terms of the number of people who do this specifically, and in terms of the quality of what people do. Yeah. It's been going up. So it's not, it, it's been progress all the way. Um, so basically, like, what's, what's the power of color, you know, to kind of change the, I guess, trajectory of your story? You know, you can film it a certain way, but once you color it another way, like, what's the power in all that? 
color grading is to enhance the story, is to get the best of the story. And the reason for color grading is simply because before the digital filmmaking era, where everyone started using digital cameras, there was the era of the film, the film stock yeah. recording, 35mm era, yeah. where everything is done on set between the production designer and the cinematographer. Yeah. Everything they want to see, every mood they want to give is done on set. But when the but when digital um, when digital filmmaking took over and films were being shot on digital cameras regardless of the name of the brand those films were being shot in more or less colorless look. Yeah. The flat, the raw look, the log look. And then you then need a process to enhance and bring back the colors that were on set, number one, and then to use it to communicate the mood, to communicate the genre of the film, to communicate and evoke emotions. Yeah. So that's basically what color grading does for film and videos, just to bring out exactly what was intended by the director, producer, cinematographer, plus the production design and costume, everything intended to communicate for each scene, the kind of mood, the time of day, the the kind of vibrance or no vibrance, the kind of emotion you want to evoke, the kind of genre you want the film is, is it fantasy, the action, is it comedy, yeah. is it Roma, ro- romantic comedy and, and all that. So those things and those elements, are, you're able to bring them out using color grading, especially now that you have shot the film in some form that is really very flat and colorless. Yeah. So so you, you can't even take that to anyone to watch and they'll be wondering what's this. So 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 that that's why color grading exists today. It's bringing the film look back to digital digitally recorded uh, uh, footages. Okay. So is that is there a difference between raw raw footage and log? No, raw and log is the same thing. Log is just basically um the individual camera brand uh, uh color profile. Yeah. So you you see C log for Ari, you see S log for Sony. Uh, so different kind of cameras have their have their log. You see D log for 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 the drones for DJI. Yeah. All of, all of that is is in is in raw, and most of these digital cameras also shoot not just raw. They shoot ProRes. Yeah. Which is considered um, high quality enough to retain the details that were captured on set. Yeah, but it's always advisable to just shoot in raw instead of shooting as as progress. But 
most people believe that progress also has the dynamics and the the capacity to retain the quality of details that you have on set. Yeah. Okay. So, like, what's the what's the case for? You know, you said um, once this thing is shot in log and it's flat, and then you get to color it in post. So, does that mean yep. you kind of you kind of get away with not lighting stylistically on set, or you also have to do that? It's it, it's important that you do that. It's it's important that you don't shy away from from what was usually done when it was being shot on film. Yeah. All the details of of lighting, all the details costume and set design gives you. Yeah. It's important you don't shy away from from all that, because if you do, those some of those things can be created and recreated in 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 the process of color grading it tends to sometimes feel unnatural yeah so sometimes you get away with it you can relight you can throw in light from a different direction that you didn't have on set in the process of color grading and it will work and not look artificial but other times you might not be able to get away with it. So it's always still important to do as much as you can in terms of shooting as if you're not shooting with a digital camera, shooting as if you're shooting with a 35mm camera, where you need to have all the details set in production. Yeah. And and then, so, so you need to do that as much as possible. But in, in cases where you can't do that, then you trust that you've done enough on set to get the best out of it in post. Okay. So what's the difference between um, color correction and color grading? Color correction is basically like the balancing of the colors. Uh, maybe the, there was too much of a particular color, maybe depending on, or maybe it was caused by the light source maybe used a light that's chewing say yellow or a whole lot of red. Yeah. And then there is there is a there is an imbalance of the primary colors, the RGB, red, green and blue. So there is so much red. Color correction is basically bringing down that red to the level of the green and the blue and everything balances together. That's color correction. So Color correction is like a process that you do before you color grade. You you balance, you bring back the exact colors as they were before you then begin to color grade, which is like manipulating the colors to create a unique look for what you want to do. Huh. What's your process, you know, when you get footage from a director or the DIT from beginning to end, what does your process look like? Basically, I first of all keep through the entire film, and then I get the information from the DP of what it was shot with, uh, what settings were used, uh, what cameras were used. Is it one camera? Is it a mix of cameras? Because the color science of every camera manufacturer is different. Yeah. So it's always advisable to use. Uh, if you're doing 
multiple camera shoots. It's always advisable to use same camera manufacturer. Yeah. For the for the multiple cameras, so so all those uh, information I get from the DP, and then I get a brief from the director about what the kind of look that they're looking at, and that determines my process. Then I do the color correction for every scene, scene by scene, and then do the color grade. And then create in the process, create looks for indoor, looks for outdoor, looks for certain locations. Yeah. And and, and that's basically how I work. You know, at, at um, your last job, you said you were a creative director. Did you also, were you also kind of execute some projects in the role of post-production supervisor? Yes, that's that's part of my work. Okay. I supervise everything that comes out in terms of creative uh, when I was in Afrinoli and, and also I still do that now in my new company. So like for post-production supervising, so you know to use um, your footage and tell your story to the best of your ability, like what um, would you suggest should be the, you know, recommended... Um, pipeline of how things happen the the it depends on what you want to do and what you want to achieve uh, and it depends on the the tools that your team is using but what is important is get as much done right on set get get as much done right on set if you have shots that will need vfx uh inputs in post, make sure you have like a VFX guy on set to shoot those particular scenes with. Yeah. Not just your not just your director, your DP, or your light guys. You need the VFX individual or someone from the VFX company to be around when those scenes are shot because they understand the kind of blockings they need to get it's done correctly in post. Yeah. So so always make sure you get as much correctly done on set before you end up uh, in post. And then you determine what workflow you want to use. What tools are you using? Are you using Adobe Suits? Are you using DaVinci Resolve all the way? Uh, most people use Adobe here from Premiere to After Effects to do the effects. And some people are picking up on Fusion in DaVinci Resolve. So you're able to do your entire workflow in Resolve from edit to color to sound using Fairlight to VFX using Fusion. Yeah. But some still use Premiere or through Audition, After Effects and all that. And then they only grade in, in Resolve. All that is possible. You just need to edit without the effects and then round trip to Resolve, grade, then return back to Premiere yeah. and then continue from there. So so, so, so depending on, on the tools you want to work with, the team you're working with, the, just make sure you get as much right in production on set. Because when some things are wrong on set, at a certain level, there is no miracle that will happen 
in post. Yeah. So like um in the course of your work as a colorist, like who do you tend to work more with? Is it the director or the DOP? It's mostly the director. I mean, at the end of the day, is the director that is the director's vision. Everybody's. Um... Yes, but that director's vision is also interpreted by the DOP. Yeah. So, so interfacing with the DOP also is important, and that's why it's also important that DOPs understand to a certain extent color grading because the quality of the pictures that come out from the camera determine to a certain level the amount of miracle that can be done on it in color grading. If the pictures have been underexposed or overexposed uh, or the colors have not been right, it gives a whole lot of challenge in color grading and invariably reduces the quality of what should have come out for that particular thing. So it's important that cinematographers or DPs have to a certain level knowledge of color grading because it enhances and helps them in determining the settings for their cameras for each scene, the kind of lens they should use, the kind of filters they should use, and all that. You know, Blackmagic's DaVinci Resolve is kind of the industry standard for color grading. And you mentioned that, you know, when you, you guys were planning to, you know, um, start this color grading thing, um, there was the very advanced color grading panel. But right now, I think they have introduced um, yeah, a mini, yeah, mini and micro. Um, yeah. What are the benefits of using this as opposed to working with your mouse? Basically, two benefits. Like, I always tell people, if you don't know how to grade, you don't know how to grade. Panels will not grade for you. Yeah. If you don't know how to color grade, if you don't understand the principles, if you don't understand the tools, the panels don't do it for you. The only thing the panels do for you is instead of you using your mouse to be moving from one thing to another, using the trackball to be going up and down, you're going to be using the trackballs on the panel. So yeah. it makes works faster. Then it allows you to be able to manipulate more than one element at a time. Okay. If you're using your mouse, you can only manipulate an element at a time. If you're manipulating the lift and the gain, yeah. you can't do it together. You do the lift, then you do the gain. Then you go back to the lift, then you go back to the gain to be balancing up what you want to see. But if you're using a panel, you can be spinning the lift and be spinning the gain at the same time in two different directions until yeah. they give you the exact balance you want. So, so it makes work faster. Yeah. That's what the panel does. If you start using it and you've learned to use it well, it makes your work faster because you are able to deal with more than one element at a time instead of using mouse. Uh, that's the, that's the only major thing about about the panel. It, it makes your work faster, and then it also allows you to be able to make minute, very minute adjustments. Yeah. Uh, when when you're using mouse and the track ball on 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 mouse, it moves one step up, one step down. But when you're using 
the trackballs on the panel, there are minute breakdowns within that one step up and one step down that you can still do with those trackballs. Very minute. Maybe you want to lift your your shadows, the dark parts of your picture. Yeah. You want to lift it just a little. You might use your mouse to do it and it will move one step up. And that one step up is more than the little that you want to do. It's now more brighter than you wanted it. Yeah. But if you and th- there is no way you can use your mouse to get to half of that. Do you get? Yeah. The distance between where you were and where you want to be is half of what the mouse will do when you use that trackball and you move up and down. But on the panel, you can do all those minute details. But like I always tell people, those minute details will only be noticed by the pros. Huh. They will only be noticed by the pros when they see your work. Yeah. They will not be noticed by the general audience. Yeah. Um. So like for you as a colorist, like are you more methodical or intuitive? So do you have like your step of um, procedures that you go through? You just kind of fill it out and um, just kind of um, approach it from mo- different angles. Mo- most colorists have kind of steps that they go through. Yeah. It's only once in a while you, you might just want to experiment. You might want to totally deviate from your step and see what, what results you get. It's, it's experimenting. And then if you get something interesting, you'll be like, okay, and maybe you get something interesting at a faster time. Yeah. Then you'll be like, okay, maybe I should adopt this new style as as go-to for this kind of work. But most colorists have like a procedure with which they use to grade, uh, depending on what they're grading. Is it more of um, a technical job or creative? Like, which one is um, predominant? Like, is it technical or the creative part? Ah. Uh... Okay, color grading is like everything that that, that has to do with art. It, it, it's the work of an artist. Yeah. But, but it is the work of an artist done on a software. Yeah. So you need to understand the tools of the software before, and then you need to understand the rules of color and the software before you can then begin to manipulate the software to give you the artistic feel you want yeah or manipulate colors to give you the look that you want yeah so you must so it's both it's both art and science yeah so I said the best way to define it is to use the basic definition of, of architecture, the art and science of the design of the built environment. That's the basic definition of architecture. Yeah. So for, for, for color grading, is the art and science of the design of looks and feel for films and video. So you must know the science. Then you can then begin to manipulate the science to show your art. Yeah. So you know, like um, most artists tend to have their signature style of working. Does this mean that a colorist can have his own signature style that kind of shows up 
in most of the movies that they color grade. Yeah, most 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 colorists do, but most also don't. Some colorists believe that every of their work must not look alike. Yeah. So they make it a point of duty to make every work look different from the last. But some colorists have basic signature that sometimes when I see a certain work, I could literally guess the colorist who did it because of the individual's signature works. Yeah. You are a trained colorist. You're a member of the Colorist Society International. What's that organization about? The Colorist Society International is the only um, colorist or the only association or organization for colorists globally. It was created some years ago, like five years ago, in um, in NAB, in the NAB conference. Yeah. It was created in, 20, in the NAB conference. Uh, it was founded by some colorists, and now there are over 250 full members across the world. Okay. There are other members, there are associate members, there are student members, but full members are the ones who are able to use the CSI at the end of their names, and there are over around 250 full members around the world. Okay. What are the benefits of um, being in this organization? Number one, you get uh, information about color grading. You get um, you get to interact with other colorists. You get to watch seminars, master classes for free by different colorists around the world. Yeah. You get to be part of colorist mixer, like it happened in December, where different colorists were sharing different tips. Uh, you get to understand the way um, color grading or the process of color grading or the business of color grading is practiced everywhere in, in other parts of the world. Uh, their charge out rates, uh, the way they handle clients. Um, and then the organization also forms like a unique body to press for certain things for colorists around the world. Yeah. Uh, like uh, two of the things that we're pressing for right now is one, creating a different um, category for colorists in IMDb. Yeah. Uh, in IMDb, you see colorists under editorial department. Yeah. That's where you find colorists. Uh, so the organization has been pushing with Amazon, the parent company of uh, IMDb to create a, a totally new category for colorists and DIT uh, guys. So it will not be under editorial department by the time they are done. They are, they are almost done. Uh, IMDB is almost done making the changes. Um, the push had started since more than two years ago. So IMDB is almost done making the changes right now. Their biggest challenge right now is them writing a code that will remove all colorist credits that is already under editorial department yeah. and put it in this new department that they are creating. And because most people didn't, uh, some people or 
most people didn't label themselves as colorists for film. Yeah. They call themselves digital intermediate producer or digital intermediate director. Yeah. That's under name for colorist for certain films. Okay. You will see that also in under editorial department. So that's the challenge IMDB has been having. Because they know that if they create a code that says, okay, remove everybody with type two colorist from editorial department and put them in this new category. It will not remove people that use digital intermediate producer. Do you yeah. understand? Yeah. So 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 they want us to do a kind of awareness that we should tell people to go back to their IMDB and go and re-edit their credits for all those films and just put colorist, 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 so that when they move everybody to the new category, they move everybody at once. Yeah. So that's one of the things the organization is pushing for. The other thing the organization is pushing for, which is like long term, but we hope it won't be too long, is for Oscar to create a category to award colorists. Yeah. That would be nice. Since there is cinematographers category, there is director, there is editing, then to create a category to award colorists is also one of the things they are pushing for. So like apart from things you gain from the Colorist Society International, what are other things that you do to, you know, kind of improve your skill as a colorist? You learn every day. Every day you learn. Every day I'm reading something. I'm watching tutorial, uh, I'm looking at other colorists' work. Every day you must continue learning. You can never stop learning. Yeah. Even if you are, even if you are acclaimed the best colorist in the world, you are constantly learning. There is always something to learn. Yeah. Because even even the software keeps changing. I started using DaVinci Resolve from version version eleven. Now it's in version 17. So the software keeps changing. The tools in it keeps changing and improving. And like I said, you must understand the tool, which is the science, before you know how to, before you can then manipulate it to get the art. Yeah. So, so, so there's always something to learn. Yeah. There is always something to learn. And I guess that applies to all other technical jobs on film, you know, like even with the camera, you have to understand the technology behind it to be able to manipulate it to the best of your ability. Yeah. You yeah. must always constantly be learning. Always. And because I'm also I'm also a trainer for Black Magic Design, it's it's uh, it's also more mandatory for us. I have a webinar that I'm going to join later this month because yeah. of version 17 so they do they do a train the trainers again every time a new version comes out yeah so so i'm going to do train the trainers again and then take the certification exam again for version 17 and then i can start teaching people version 17 so 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 that that's the way it is what does it take to be a great colorist what what is everything that has to come together to make a great colorist? Everything that has to come together to make a great colorist. Um, preparation. You must you must constantly, like I said, be learning and preparing. Then opportunity. Um, opportunity that comes with the right kind of production, the right kind of the right quality of production. Like I said, if you are giving 
garbage from set, there is a limit to the amount of miracle you can do to to it. Yeah. You can help. You can help. You can you can redeem some sins, but even at that, those will not be the optimal value of those sins if they had been shot well. Yeah. You understand. So 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 you can you can you can help. You can do certain miracles, but it's always boils down to preparation meeting opportunity or an opportunity coming in the form of the right team doing the right things on set from DP to light scene to production design to costume design where costume is not clashing with background colors yeah uh, um, or where costume and skin color is not the same those things that allow you to be able to make actual quality work done in 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 the grid because it's it all boils down to 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 that and like i say a bit of god and a bit of luck is what it is when you get those kind of projects or that kind of project that aligns yeah with that kind of quality and then you are prepared to be able to do it then you, you do it and people see it and 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 they say wow what they don't realize is if the production has not been done well, that same thing that you need will not look that good. Yeah. Okay, so um, what is um, one genre of film that you're excited to work on, or a particular type of film you're excited to work on that hasn't been done in Nigeria? I'm not sure I have a particular type of film that that I would love to work on that has not been done in 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 Nigeria, there are several genres of films that Nigerians don't generally do. Huh. Um, fantasy. You hardly see fantasy films. You see, you hardly see horror. Yeah. Um, and you hardly, and you hardly see action, action. So you hardly see those 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 kind of films. But it's not like I am. Um, I'm looking out or waiting to be able to do those genres because I know that those kind of films are not even the films that our market wants to see yeah. from from us. So me, I'm more excited about doing films that our market wants to see from us and doing it well so that the audience who are the majority would enjoy it so i'm not really yeah it would be nice to work on fantasy film to get all those pop into fantasy films yeah it'd be nice to work on really action films to get all those green into into action films it'd be nice to work on horror films to have all those dark shades but the truth of the matter is it's not what majority of our audience wants to see. Yeah. And not right now. Not what they want to see from our films anyway. Maybe from foreign films, but not from our films. Over time, yes, I know that the audience will develop interest in those kind of films from us. Well. So I'm not really particular about, oh, who will give me the fantasy <laughs> film here to work? No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more interested in working on what 
audience here are enjoying and doing it well. Okay. All right. So let's say you're on a plane and it crash lands on a desert island. What's one film that you would be happy to keep watching and watching over again? I'm not sure there's a film. I think I have moved from being a film person to a series person over the last couple of years. Yeah. And it's because somewhere along the line, like I said, I was creative director and I'm still creative director in this my new company. Yeah. I I I have dabbled into story creating, writing scripts. I can write script. Um watched and learned the skills about writing for film and TV. Yeah. And I've come to realize that there is actually those who write for film, they should be given they should be given award because they have one hour forty five minutes to put everything together to get an audience or get me excited. If you are to choose a TV series, which one would that be? Ah, there are plenty. TV series, Breaking Bad. For me, the best drama series ever made. Yeah. Breaking Bad. Uh, I can watch 24 again, season 1 to 8. For me, that's the best action series ever made. Yeah. I can watch Game of Thrones again. For me, that's the best epic series ever made. Yeah. So, so series man i can watch them again and again and again you, you can start game of thrones today and it be like new hmm. <laughs> so so series it will be for me those ones i can watch them again and again the nigerian film industry is um gradually growing and just like nigeria there are a lot of things that we could improve in the industry what is something that you think we should be focusing on to improve I think basically what we should be focusing on is to improve uh, the quality of skill and then uh, we need governments to do the other one. We need to improve and have more avenues for distribution of films. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bad that in 2021 not every state has a cinema at least one yeah so we should start from there every state you still at least have a cineplex at least one mm. in the in the area of the states somewhere every state has a jerry just have one so yeah. so we should start from there we should start from there because it will help increase distribution of films in the theatrical level yeah. and which it will in turn turn to more money for producers and then they'll be able to pay value or, or not really value they'll be able to pay close to a living wage for for people in post yeah not really value because as compared to what people earn abroad you know that we're far yeah when people charge 500 dollars per hour for color grid uh-huh. Then you know that we are, we are, we are far. Yeah. Like, and I, I mean, like, for government, it, it could also be like maybe something like giving tax breaks to 
um, distribution companies yeah, no, you know, not, that help them not, set not, up? Not necessarily, not, not, necessarily, not necessarily government building the cinemas, no. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not the business of government to build cinemas. It's their business to create the incentives that will make private companies and private individuals invest in cinemas. Yeah. So, so they need to just create the incentives. They need to be able to create incentives like getting CBN to give loans to individuals or companies that want to build cinemas oh. in other states apart from states where there is cinema already. So CBN should not bother their head with any state that has cinema already. Any state that doesn't have. Yeah. If a couple of people come up with proposals and, and they look at it, they should be able to give them single-digit loans, 9% interest rate. Then interest free for the first three years so that they can use those three years to do the construction and get running before they start paying interest. Hmm. So, so that's basically what government needs to do. They don't need to build it directly. They just need to create that kind of incentive. Give single digit loan, three years moratorium for people or companies you give those loans to. And then they will build cinemas in states where there are none. Yeah. And that will increase the the volume of people who watch every film, and then producers will make more money, and then that money can go down the line to everybody on the chain. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, how can keep people keep up with your work? Uh, not beauty website yet. I use my social media and do. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram at Onigold. Okay. So people can follow me there. I share as much work as possible, depending on when the client wants the work to be out there. Yeah. So, so, so you can people can follow me there. Okay. All right. Thanks, Bobola, for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. have come to the end of this episode please remember to leave a rating and a review follow me on instagram and twitter at selegov film and the podcast also on instagram and twitter at the niger film pod see you on the next episode have a good one